Welcome to another episode of Anna McGarry Knows Everything, a podcast where I'm Anna McGarry and I know everything. We talk about art and its many farms and we be bop around. <laughs> this episode I'm joined by my old friend Aaron Chout. We grew up dancing together, went to high school together. I don't know if that's how Irish people say their THs with it, like a day. I don't know. This episode we talk about Wuthering Heights. Not the novel. I can't keep doing this. Not the novel. It got too hard. I need a lot of R's for me to try to do it. Okay, this episode we talk about Wuthering Heights. The song, not the book. But we also talk about the book a little. Um, the Kate Bush song. It's absolutely... It's just stunning. It's stellar. I love it. Aaron showed it to me, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Learned the dance from the music video. Perfect. If you mm, watch it, watch the music video. Watch both the music videos. There are two music videos for this. Um, which some could say, that's too many. I say, not enough. Keep them coming, Kate. Aaron is a treasure and a half. They're at Juilliard right now. They're a stunning dancer, person, intellectual vibe master, dare I say? And we have a frickin' blast. And oh baby, do we veer off course. Wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. Aaron Choate, Weathering Heights, Kate Bush. Yes. And I'm gonna put a, here's a little clip of Weathering Heights in case you don't know the song, just so you get a vibe. Ugh, say vibe one more time, I swear. Just so you know where we're coming from, I, I urge you to watch the video. Watch it. So here's a clip. What vain weathercocks we are. I who had determined to hold myself independent of all social intercourse and thanked my stars that at length I had lighted on a spot where it was next to impracticable. Ho, ho, ho. He, he, he. What a silly prank you have played. You said you would play the music, not the book. So here's the song for real, though. Did we have to whisper like it's NPR? <laughs> yeah, we have to use our national public radio voices. Okay. <laughs> and I'm Lakshmi Sang. Ugh. And you what, what, what? And I'm Lakshmi Sang, NPR icon, Lakshmi Sang. Oh my God. I don't know the names of them. Um, that's, well, I Can you impersonate? I know, but that's not true. But she always says her voice and I'm Lakshmi Sang. Like, it always has that same little oh, melody. Oh, my God. She's a queen. Yeah. She, but 
because she goes down at the end, that's where her power is. Because she goes down at the end of the phrase, like, you know she meant to say what she was saying. And she's also relaxed. Like, you can hear the relaxation. You can hear the power. Yeah, she's been in this game for years. You are not going to intimidate her. She oh, is no, no, radio. No. She is radio. I'm proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, for the listener at home, let's explain the relationship between the two of us. Right. Who, who are you to me? Who am I to you? Um, we grew up <laughs> going to the same dance studio. Yes. Um, I learned you existed probably when you were like 11, 12, right? Does that sound right? I would say that sounds right. That's when I did my first solo at the dance studio. Okay. Were you, how long were you there before I noticed you were there? <laughs> I was there starting at nine. So maybe there were a few years where I just flew right under the radar. When did you start doing competition? I started doing competition 10. Like, it was like one year into me dancing that I was okay. like, I'm ready to mess this shit up. What was the first dance you were in? Were you in Hairspray? I was in, the, I was in Hairspray. It was my first competition dance. Uh-huh. But my first dance at the Diana Evans School of Dance was a chicken bucket dance. Mm, I remember, Do you remember watching that? that on recital DVDs and being like, what the hell is going on? Colonel Sanders. I killed it. It was an all boys dance, right? Yes. They always threw you guys a strong theme and right. made you do a push-up and a forward roll and a tuck jump. And right. I said, all right. <laughs> Is that what she wanted to do? <laughs> it's, oh, I was like, I don't, I don't know how hard we're trying with these kids. Like, <laughs> I know the standards are, like, lower. <laughs> I would say that I started dancing at nine, but just doing a coffee grinder and a dive roll count. If you do them well enough, it can. Okay. <laughs> that was my start, jazz. And, you know, um, considering I didn't notice your first coffee grinders and dive rolls, clearly you did not do them well enough. <laughs> I didn't even qualify. I was not starting. My official start date was hairspray. Hairspray. That was my debut. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun one. It was a fun one. I turned into a woman, first time in drag, <laughs> and I remember crying on stage at Nationals because Savannah accidentally pushed the blonde, grainy wig hair into my eye repeatedly <laughs> in a lift. You say accidentally like it was premeditated. <laughs> Are we accusing her of this? This is on I the think record, I... Aaron. We, we're not, I'm not I... going off the record anymore. <laughs> I might just have to accuse her. I'm so sorry. Savannah, let's have a conversation. <laughs> I, I I like accusing people of things in the podcast because they're not going to listen, you know? Oh, right, right. I'm as like... soon as... If, can you imagine she texts me after this? She's like, Aaron, I can't believe what you said on Anna McGarry Knows Everything. <laughs> My favorite podcast. <laughs> I wish that would happen. Uh, when it comes so, yeah, we know time. each other. <laughs> I, I just did a full <laughs> podcast about middle school and remembering it. And I'm like, I'm tagging all these bitches. Like, they're going to hear what I have to say. <laughs> oh, right. You better do them. Dr- your burn book. Throw yeah. them under the bus. Throw them right there, under. There's nothing mean in there, though. It's just like you were in the weird play I wrote that I never told you about. Playing right. yourself. Um, <laughs> like, I had a crush on you in the sixth grade, and I never told you. Oh, I love those type of I things. tried to look him up, and his Instagram's private, and I don't follow it. So I'm like, well, whatever. You should follow it. Oh. Yeah. So, you should still follow it to know. Missed my shot. <laughs> I have to tell you that my middle school really did a class Zoom over this quarantine. Oh, I saw that. Is that not insane? 
That is insane. But considering it was scary. <laughs> considering you are middle school, though, it makes more sense because it wasn't a normal, regular, real school. Right. It was not real school. It was Dreamland School, Scapa. Yeah, Dreamland, artsy fartsy school. Did you start in the fourth there in the fourth grade? I started there in the sixth grade. I have one, I was one of two accepted. I just have to throw that out. One of two people accepted into the sixth grade class. Ooh, who was the other one? Um, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it might have been a pianist. They, it was not like based on division in sixth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know each other from school. <laughs> That's established. <laughs> from school, from dance, from life. Um yeah, we so grew we went, up to each other. I aggressively just school, grew up with when we went together. <laughs> yes, it was high school. It was high school. Um, the way the way our high school worked, um, there was like an arts attachment. Um, so we right. were in that. We were in the arts school, and we took class together like most mornings. Did a little dance. Most mornings. We off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that was cool. When did we become like friends? Did we ever become friends, Anna? Who? <laughs> we became um, we became friends. Um, maybe it was junior. Your junior year, my freshman year was when it really started to connect. Because there was definitely a time where I was very scared of you and obsessed really? with you. No. Oh yeah. Don't be scared of me. I wasn't scared of you in like a bad way. I was scared of you in like a whoa, she's fierce, and I need <laughs> to step my I need to step my game up. A little bit of fear is okay. Yeah, a little bit. But I think we really solidified that friendship. I don't even remember it starting. I just knew that it kind of happened because I think we both started to realize that we were like trying to to enjoy dancing, and maybe that was like I think it was because we were both we both liked dancing, and most of the people who were dancing with us did not like dancing. That Mm might have been something that brought us together. Also, I think sense of humor. Just a few, a few big umbrella categories wrangled us together to where we are now. Yeah. And I definitely with high school, I saw a lot more of you. So I, we had the opportunity to like really talk and get to know each other and become friends. Right. Because growing up like dancing, we were never really in the same class because like mm-hmm. age groups and stuff until the end. Till the end. Till you the say end. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Well, once you like hit high school and like a certain skill level you're just we're all in the same stuff yeah once you a certain point in high school it's all the same yeah it's like you've you've reached the level you're gonna reach in high school and you guys can all be in a group together and we can just pretend like it's the same whereas in middle school it's like there's eight different group dances for the middle schoolers because the range of levels is so drastically different yeah and there are more people because they fade out over time (laughs) right we did drop like flies because the I can't lie to you, our dance training was intense. It was. We danced. So much. I think back to high school, and I don't know how I survived it. I was obsessed with getting my name on that top 10 list at the end of school. Like, I, There were so many things that I really, really pushed for, and it wasn't because I wanted to learn so much as well as do well. And yeah. now I'm like, I can't believe I didn't die. I slept like five hours a night. It I was know, crazy. It's- crazy now i would never (laughs) tolerate i wouldn't even tolerate that kind of lifestyle no it's not like either of us are that much older either like i'm four years out of high school you're two years out but just looking back you're like why did i do that to myself and how was i like staying up this late getting up this early under such constant pressure right 
an, an amazing, an amazing anecdote that me and my brother shared together. We were driving to school and I think he wrote a, he wrote a little short about it. It was both of us just like clenching our teeth together to see and like forcing smiles because apparently that releases endorphins mm-hmm. before school. Like we would do that <laughs> a lot to just see if we could make ourselves enjoy some of this like trudging everyday continuous life. Man. <laughs> Man. See, but like with the watching like old comp videos and uh, recitals, it's not that I want to go back to high school. No, mm-hmm. no, no. But I no. just think with the knowledge I have now, I could do it so much better. I could do it without maybe hurting my self-esteem a bit. Yeah. I think we think could, I could all do it just... happier. <laughs> I think I could do it happier. That's the main yeah. thing. I could maybe enjoy myself a bit more. I would like schedule stuff with friends more. Oh yeah, the I weekends. Remember, like, senior year, I realized wastelands. I had friends that were like hanging out with each other on like a school night. And I was like, what do you what do you mean? Right. Like, I I go to dance for four hours and then I go home and that's it. You know what, Anna? The craziness of this, I met I met friends when I I met friends when I went to college. And a lot of them were less interested in academia and they would hang out with their friends after dance at night instead of doing homework and then just like have a good life and then not be stressed because they were doing okay enough. Because you could get like you could pass high school and get enough, like have an okay GPA without like doing an intense amount of homework. Like you yeah. really just could. And they were doing that lifestyle and like enjoying themselves in high school. Whoa. Right. Can you imagine? My friend was like, I loved high school. I hung out with my friends every single night. Girl, I'm what? Wild. Who are you? Who are like, you? I generally had a good time. I have fond memories. Right. But Same. I was also under so much pressure a lot of it just from me from no one but myself yeah like i'm like you will take 19 ap classes and if you don't get a five on the ap test you're garbage fire if you don't get a five on the ap test you you don't deserve anything that was really the mindset i had and where has an ap credit gone absolutely nowhere they got me out of school a semester early they did that oh really they yeah. didn't do that. They don't do anything at Juilliard. I can tell you that right now. Mm. It's yeah. like canceled. Well, I, we have. Well, you're. It's like conservatory versus like a liberal arts. Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe if I had been smart enough to know, well, I guess I could have never gauged what was going to happen. So maybe it was good that I I did take those AP classes, and I can say some of the AP classes were my favorite ones. Yeah, I loved um, my AP English classes and two years of AP Calc. Love it. AP Calc, okay, wait, I think I know how to transition into our main topic for today, because when you said AP English classes, AP literature is when I first read Wuthering Heights, written by Emily Bronte, and I have to say that I became obsessed. Me too. Absolutely obsessed, obsessed. uh, Me and Abby Gar, we read that book, and we're like, this is everything. We... Love Weathering Heights. <laughs> it might just be well. It's definitely in my top like two books, but honestly, the list of books that I've read is frightening. But I, I really did. I could have given you a better list when I was in high school because I was more of an avid reader. But mm-hmm. I can say that Wuthering Heights really tops, even though there's a small chart, it tops the chart. 
And <laughs> I remember reading it and hearing things like throwing hot applesauce at each other, like the melodrama and the ridiculousness of the entire situation. I was just obsessed. <clears throat> so that was really just my first formal introduction to Wuthering Heights with Miss C. I think you knew her or as Miss B. Miss B. Okay, great. She'll never be Miss C to me. She'll always be Miss B. Well, she'll always be Miss C to me. Isn't that interesting how that happens? Isn't it interesting how people get married and change their names and then their students have to deal with the repercussions? <laughs> the poor students. You know, nobody <laughs> should change their name. Just keep your name. Unless the name is fierce. Like, if you know that you're going to get some fierce alliteration if you change your last name, then do it. Yeah. Like, but I, I, liked her, I liked her first name better. Yeah, Boulan- Boulanger. Boulanger. And instead of cock. Yeah. And then it had to be C because otherwise, how could she bear the pesturing of the students? Yeah. You're not going to get out alive. Oh, no. So it was just, it was Miss C from day one. Yeah. So anyways, um, just a quick anecdote. I love saying anecdote. Because oh. um, I, I did take AP Lit and AP Lang. Let me just <laughs> remind you. Um, is that I stole my Wuthering Heights book cover because I was so obsessed with it. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if you had the same book cover. It's like the woman standing out on the moor. I think it's, I think it's, what's her name? Nancy? No. Catherine? No, it's like the, the one who tells the story and she's like the maid. Oh, I have no idea what her name it's is. It's that woman, I think, on the front cover. She's standing with brown hair and it's like windy. It's a brown cover. It is probably one of the most beautiful images I have ever seen. It was just so evocative. So my plan was... Well, I just knew I had to get the book cover from day one. I saw the book and I said, oh my God, I'm taking this cover. Yes. I had a group of like five people. That's an exaggeration. It was more like three, but five people together to help me get this book cover. Like I was asking people for scissors. I was asking people, I was like, what can I do? How can I? Because I really just wanted to be. So Missy, if you're listening to this, I did not steal the book cover. If Missy is not listening to this, <laughs> I did steal the book cover. Um, okay. P- paint a picture. Is this hardback or paperback? Paper. Oh paperback it okay, was so we're not much... talking about like ripping off a book jacket you, it was like, not a surgery the off of a book well it was already half off that's my excuse like okay. i know it's i know it's unfair to treat a book like that i want to say that i i totally get it like i know that it's wrong to do that like i really feel bad for my actions but also it was half off in my defense but i had a million people like trying to get scissors nobody could find any scissors so i had a friend who was like just didn't even say anything. I was like, do you have any scissors? And they were like, what's it for? And I was like, it's because I want this book cover. I'm obsessed with it. And they were like, okay. So they walked up to the it's front. It's for crime. <laughs> it's for crime. And they walked up to Miss B, my Miss B, and oh. said, hi, I just really want to make a paper snowflake right now. Do you have any scissors? Oh, my God. Wow. So they got me scissors. Just hand me scissors right away. I cut off the book cover, removed it, then returned my book. Well, I had already, here's the thing. It's not, I did it before I, I, not before, after I returned the book, I returned the book. And then once I knew it had been safely secured on the shelf and she wouldn't have noticed, then I took it off. That's smart thinking. Right. It was smart thinking. And I also memorized the book number so I could make sure it was my book. Wow. That's how compelled I was to the book Wuthering Heights. It is amazing. After this, will you... If you can, like, find it, take a picture of it, send it to me, or, like, just look online and find it, because right. I want to know what this image is. I'm going to have to look online, because it's... Okay. I take it to my college dorm, because I'm, I'm so yeah. obsessed with it. It's, like, on my... It's, like, I have two decorations on my wall, and it uh-huh. is 
the main one. That's like it is, funny. it is my pride. Um, and actually, I might have a picture of it on my dorm wall, so I might send you that. But I have it in my my college boxes because we ran out of there so quick because of the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, but it is safe and sound somewhere. I hope. Good. <laughs> so, that was my first exposure to Woodburn Heights, the concept. Mm-hmm. My exposure to the song, which might might I dare say is almost. I would say it's up to par with Emily Bronte's work. Like, it is really just... I 100% agree. It is right up there with her. Like, it should be in the canon. <laughs> it should yeah. be in the canon of Wuthering Heights-themed things. You know what? I didn't even hear Kate Bush's version. I heard Pat Benatar's Pat version. You know, and that's an embarrassing version. It's because it's- I was obsessed with Pat Benatar at the time. Uh-huh. Love is a battlefield. And then I was like, okay, what, what else? More Pat Benatar songs? Absolutely not. Is there any other Pat Benatar song? So I know that one only. I was obsessed with Pat Benatar, kind of. You know that one song that everyone knows? (laughs) Obsessed. Really? What I mean, (laughs) what I can say that's true is that I was obsessed with that song. Okay. Like I would hear it on the radio and be like, what is this song? And then I was like, Pat Benatar, she must be a fierce bitch. So with that information, I looked her up and then I saw that like one of the songs suggested was Wuthering Heights and I was like oh my god the book obsessed Mm -hmm. so let's just get right down to it clicked on it heard it and I was like okay this is weird but the chorus is kind of banging in my eardrum so I looked up the song on Wikipedia and then I was like oh my god it's not even her listen to the Kate Bush first listen to the Kate Bush version became obsessed then watched the video and became more obsessed I think obsessed is the key word with this whole thing I agree I, I, I could die happy seeing that. Yeah. Cause you brought it to me like it was a sacred text. You said, <laughs> Anna, I discovered the Bible Wuthering Heights. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what we're talking about. Cause I read the book. We Bye. all read it senior year. Thanks. Miss B slash C. Um, and I guess you were staying at my apartment I think that I was know. when it was. Cause I also showed it, it to Sarah. Yes. Um, you were Hi, Sarah. in my apartment for the weekend, I think for college auditions. Yes. Um, and we just sat down and watched it and I was converted. That's to put it plainly. It's a religion. It is. Um, I could do the dance. I played the song today and watched the video five times to brush up. Yeah. And I could still do the dance that I learned. Okay. Another embarrassing anecdote is that I showed the song to my AP lit class because I thought they would be interested. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, Missy, I love this. And she was like, oh my God, I know that song and I hate it. It's so high pitch and gross. And I was like, she would. I was, I was distraught. Well, I understand that she, she really rides on being dry as her mm-hmm. humor. So I was like, maybe she is just, you know, popping a funny with me. Um, so I was like, you have to show the class. And she was like, okay. She showed five seconds of it. In that five seconds, I managed to get up in front of the entire class and do the dance in front of the screen. Nobody, <laughs> nobody smiling, nobody watching, nobody caring. Like, it was just my friend Catherine was watching and was like, oh my God, this is so great. And everybody else was dead silent, uncomfortable. And then she shut it off. She shut the video down. As soon as, as soon as one course got through, she shut the video down. 
Isn't that embarrassing? That's tough. Can you can you tell me out of your class what percentage, give or take, were like Scapa Arts kids and what percentage weren't? Oh wow, this is where it's really embarrassing. Story. It would have gone very differently if it was all Scapa kids. It might have been, I dare say, thirty-five percent Scapa. Mm-hmm. I was. I literally had to calculate to see how many. <laughs> I was like, wait, if I subtract 35 from 100, what do I get? I'm just going to say the other percent because apparently I can't do math anymore. The other percent, not Scapa, like general <laughs> population. What is, oh my God, it's 65. It's, yeah. Okay. I didn't Thank want to tell you. I wanted you to get there on your own. I, <laughs> do you see what going to conservatory? I was once in AP Calc BC. I will let the listeners know. Did you take the AP test? I took the AP test and got a. Okay, I can broadcast that now because I worked so hard and I couldn't subtract 35 from 100 just now. It's hard. It's hard. When you haven't done an integral. is really hard. I tried. When you get to calculus, it's all concepts and stuff. And you're like, oh, interesting. But just the raw numbers. mm. The raw numbers are so scary. And, you know, I tried to do a multiplication like a multiplication. I tried to uh-huh. do like <laughs> I tried to do long-term division and multiplication, but like you know the way you like carry and stuff. Wait, did you just say long-term division? Oh my god, how do you say it? Long division? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's so gone. It's so gone for me. I don't even know how to say it. I tried to do I tried to do mental math, but also not mental math, like paper math, but like uh-huh. the simple kind couldn't do it. I had to relearn from the internet. Oh, I I could do an integral though, so yeah, I can toss out a, a simple integral. I don't remember the hard ones. Right. <laughs> but like 2x, mm-hmm, I'll do it. I, 2x, I will do. I will do it. I recently took a math test to see if I could become a math tutor. And, ooh, the, the mental math I was pulling and the cross multiplication and long division, I haven't done it in years. I forgot how to multiply. I had to relive the fourth grade. And I was like, how do you multiply? Were you in front of the student when this was happening? Uh, No, I wasn't in front of anybody. Oh my God. I was imagining you with like a fifth grader and the fifth grader is like, so how do I do this? And you're like freaking (laughs) out, like panicking. No, no. This was just like a job application pretty much. I see. So they're like, go sit in the back, figure it out, turn your test in. We'll call you. That's fun. Okay. So are you now a tutor? Um, I probably would have been if everything hadn't come to a screeching halt because of the Rona. So a screeching halt. Yeah. But they liked me. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I was looking up, I was looking up, um, Wuthering Heights factoids today. Did you read um, the list of 20 things you didn't know about the song? Cause I did. Oh my God. Wait, can you go ahead and spell this out for me? Cause I did not. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I'm eating a burrito. Can you tell? Um, uh, no, I can't tell. You've been really efficient with that burrito eating so far. Thank you. I've been leaning like really far away. I'm almost done. Vamp, Aaron. Give me. I need. Okay. Seven seconds. Seven seconds. Okay. Let me. Let me kill this. Seven seconds. I think it's almost gone. But um, I discovered that the the video where she's wearing the red outfit was the second video, and it was for the, only the American release. And the video where it's like like two over. You've seen both of the videos? Have you seen both of them? Yes, I watched both of them today. Okay, so the one with like the 
the overlay the dress, the yeah the white the dress th- that's the original one and that was for the like european release mm-hmm. which is weird because the red one's so much more iconic it's so much better it's better in general it's better um let me let okay i'm gonna slide through some of the factoids i remember i should have written some down but i was like no let's let's free spirit it let's just like see what happens let's free spirit um it. let's free spirit it and then i'd like to really just gnaw in to the red dress version of it right and then we can talk about why the, the white dress one and why it's worse okay great okay um some of the factoids i remember um her and emily i've heard it pronounced bronte and bronte i like same bronte. birthday same birthday knew that one same birthday obviously not the same year obviously right i also know the story about the writing of it but i don't i th- is that coming where she's like she watched the bbc i just yeah, said she BBC. watched the end of like a bbc series on weathering heights and she was like <gasps> weathering heights and then it right. held her to read the book and then she was like i must write i have to keep i gotta like know the story be true to the characters and yeah and keep creating right right um she wrote the song when she was how old 17 i think it was 18 18 17 oh shit 1817 that might have been the year bronte was born oh wow spooky stuff um yeah so she was a teenager when she wrote this song and it bangs it's so bangs are important her first like smash hit single everyone's like this woman um, is it fierce yeah whoever signed her was really pushing to have another single released something i don't know what it is is it james and the cold gun yeah it was right i don't know if i've heard that i don't have think you... I have. we'll get into this later but i think we need to also talk about kate bush's later works i don't know if you're well versed in them but they are I'm... interesting i'm not particularly versed i know like little spots here and there spots I don't know, here like, and there is good though um, what else do I have? Oh, do you know the musician St. Vincent? No. She's really cool. I think you'd I think you'd like her stuff. I think she oh, she's so cool. She was on an episode of Gossip Girl. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she said Weathering Heights is her go to karaoke song. Oh good. Yeah. And it's I think a good we can one. All relate to that. It's a good one. It would be my go to one too, because I know the steps. Yeah. Um, I think that's all the trivia that I remember that I thought was interesting. It's good trivia. Some of it was like the producer who then they worked with John Lennon. And I was like, I don't care. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Like, whatever. Give me the cold hard facts. I like that they have the same birthday. Yeah. You know, when you feel like you have a divine connection to some artist. I Mm -hmm. say divine like Martha Graham. When you have a divine connection to some other artist and something lines up in that way, and then you're like, oh my God, it was meant to be. Now I have to write a song about Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Martha Graham and I, birthdays, one day apart. That's all I'm saying. Um, when is Martha Graham's birthday? May 11th. And yours is May 12th? Yeah. Oh my God. I just right. guessed that it was going to be the 12th because I forgot. Yeah, you did. You, you had two are people, shots. Are people, actually, <laughs> are people actually supposed to know each other's birthdays? Because that's stupid. I know some people's birthdays. Like, um, if you have a calendar and you put it in. But, like, goddamn, if I don't know your birthday, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same as, like, when you know someone, but you don't actually know them. And you don't know their name. And they make a big deal of it. And it's like, sis, you know that I know who you are. I might even yeah. be fond of you. I just don't know your name. 
it's not that, that big with, a deal. Like, a lot of college acquaintanceships. I don't know if it's the same to you because I feel like you're probably around like the same group of people more than I was. Yeah, we are. I pretty um, much know the names. But like whenever I was in an academic class, I'd have like my little like science class acquaintance over there. Never learned their name. Never knew a thing about them. But we were buddies, you know. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> Wait, what is science? Just straying off. What is science class in college like? Um, well, I didn't have to do like the super general class, like just bio or whatever, because I did right. AP bio. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the only really science class I took was called Drugs in the Brain. That sounds um, fun. It was super fun. Uh, we learned all about like these different types of drugs from like the illegal ones are just, you know, medications. And like Advil. Advil. Yeah, all that jazz. Okay. Um, That's such an interesting course. I would love to. Yeah. That. And like going into like, here's like what it does, like chemically, physically, like this is what the neurotransmitters do. This is how neurotransmitters work. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. Um, something I learned that sticks with me is that... um like the fastest way to like get an effect from something is inhalation because it like I don't remember why but like it gets to your brain faster that's kind of scary yeah because it's all about like it getting into the blood and it getting to your brain so it can like work its magic (laughs) yeah magic and if you were like snorting something like that takes effect super quickly as well because like the membranes in your nose are really thin, so it's like easier to get like and through the skin into the blood vessels and stuff. Right. Um, yeah. I'm loving these factoids about drugs on the brain. Right. This was years ago. I remember like three things. <laughs> That's great. And you know, I really love being lectured, Anna. Uh huh. <laughs> I think I, I think something I love is just sitting down in a class. Don't put that PowerPoint in front of me. Mm-mm. don't put a worksheet in front of me. What I want you to do is stand there right up in the front of class and teach me a goddamn lesson, just like they used to do in the old days. Yeah, just speak from the heart. Tell me what you got to, what, what I got to know. I love being lectured. And honestly, it's the best way for me to learn. I yeah. can take a note. I'll take a note. But I'm just not here for this, like, you know how there's, like, so many different ways to learn and there's mm-hmm. all these different ways to be creative about learning. Really, when it comes down to it, a really powerful speaker. I'm sure you've had like one or two professors that you're like, wow, this professor really knows how to teach. Like they oh, just yeah. really know, like especially in an academic setting, they really know how to learn you something and learn you something good. And mm-hmm. I just, I think that's the best way for me to learn, especially when they're entertaining, charming, yeah. handsome. You have a romantic, you have a romantic attachment to the professor, you know. Ooh, that's a good one. That's always the best. One of my teachers um, in college, I've only really had a crush on one of them, but it's Mm. him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's him. It's him. Um, My, uh, he was so funny. Oh, golly. He had these beautiful blue eyes and we're like, all right. And he taught us about religion and philosophy. And we were like, tell me more. And it was amazing his favorite things to do um were to like take a wide second parallel with his like hands on his hips and yeah and just like really make eye contact with you and nod and like really active listening and i was like yeah i feel listened to 
Um, and sometimes he would take that stance, like he would walk up to your desk and just be really close to you listening. And you're like, ah. I love that. I love that. My other favorite thing he did is he always had his pockets so full, so full. It was like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. It was a three hour night class from like 7.20 to 10 p.m. at night. And this man, his front pockets bulging constantly. <laughs> As if at any second he might have to take off to the hills. Can you imagine? He has like highlighters, $5,000 in cash. Yeah. You know, like anything you need. I couldn't even figure out what could be in those pockets because you got like phone and wallet. But what? Wait, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Anna Uh McGarry. (laughs) This might have to be off the record, but if you don't think it needs to be, it can be on. Okay. Step. Oh, I can keep going on, keep professors. I had a teacher named. Oh wait, I'm not gonna say his name. Yeah, but I thought he's about it. Great. I'll text you this guy's name because it's a stupid name. <laughs> like he went by something else, but his real name so stupid. I love that it was dumb. It was dumb. <laughs> I had this professor. He taught a class that had to do with philosophy, and that's easy because every single core class at Juilliard is related to philosophers. So, <laughs> a teacher relating to philosophy. I can't say that I had a real crush on him because I wasn't, like, attracted to him. But I was obsessed with him. Like, mm-hmm. he was endearing, charming. He would speak about himself in third person and say, well, you might think, Professor blah, 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 what do I do in this situation? Well, I'll tell you. Like, he would just guide us through <laughs> in the most charming, endearing way. And he wouldn't even – sometimes he wouldn't even look up because he'd be so passionate about what he was teaching. Mm-hmm. And he, I just admire people that know how to speak because it's so hard. It is. So yeah, that's my professor story. A whole semester of a class that was just called Greenwich Village. And we just talked about Greenwich Village throughout the years. And it was amazing. That sounds interesting. was the librarian. (gasps) We all stan her. We love her so much work she'd get so into what she was talking about she was so passionate and so so smart and well researched and like amazing and she would start crying sometimes and we're like (gasps) like i i feel like i shouldn't look because this is a private moment between you and like the memory of pearl harbor she would cry while teaching not like sobbing but like she'd get a little choked up oh this is the type of teaching that i'm here for she she was like no one else. And, oh my god! Uh, amazing. I love I her. Just wish high school teachers. I mean, shout out to all the great high school teachers I had. But I wish high school teachers would understand. Well, I can't say this generally because you know, but some high school teachers, I wish they would understand that they have one of the most important jobs. Yeah. Possible. Like they really, they'll shape you. They will shape you and. Sometimes I feel like I learned some, like I learned some in like some lessons that had a negative effect on me just based on the way they handled the room sometimes. Uh-huh. But I also, from the really great ones, I feel like I learned how to be more sociable and light. But I mean, I think almost every high school teacher had their downfall. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're human. They are human. But some of these college professors, it's hard to believe that they would even make. Like, say something in class that I would disagree with the way they taught it. Yeah. 
It's just, well, I mean, they're getting paid a whole lot more. That's another thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, if you're teaching, like, public school, well, first of all, you're not getting paid enough for the work you're doing. And there's yeah. so much pressure to, like, have, like, certain scores, whether it's just in the class or, like, the end of the year test. And, yeah, ouch. Yeah. It's hard to be a high school teacher. Like you can't freewheel it. They're like they're like this is the curriculum and you have to do it or like it's uh, over for you, you know? Now I think I'm starting to understand why my college professors are great and why it's so much harder to teach high school. I think they generally have more freedom with their content. Yeah. That's starting to make sense for me. So, <laughs> I'm just going to say that I pull back on the strength of which I described high school teachers flopping i would like to just retract that <laughs> in some ways in some ways i still stand my ground because some of them i was like every time you switch to the next slide you sigh and it kind of makes me feel upset i was like you know you know sometimes i'm like yeah, i just they want... don't want to be there or like, i'm like tell they don't like kids and you're like why are we here <laughs> i'm like can you just perform this slide for me can you just perform it can you put on a three-act opera for me right now? Then I'll understand uh, Huck Finn, please. <laughs> exactly. I love when someone gets emotionally attached to the... I think I would really love history. I think I, I like history anyways. I like learning history, even though it doesn't stay with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would really love learning history from someone that gets that emotionally involved, like you said about that teacher. Yeah, just like someone who's really passionate about anything is so... Like I don't, I don't feel like attractive is the right word, um, but just compelling. Compelling, yeah. You know? Ugh. Totally agree. So let's sit back. So speaking let's of zi- Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Kate Bush, um, like, what else can we juice out of that? I think we just. I want. Let's get into the music video. I think. Okay. So one thing I want to point out is that there are times where she seems incredibly emotionless Mm -hmm. in times where she has such an intense emotion it can like switch in one second yeah like she has a blank face one second and the next second she's like growling at the camera i her eyes her Her eyes eyes. they oh some people just have those eyes she has a strong focus it's very strong focus (sighs) i think eyes are a very important part of any performer Mm -hmm. and she has like big round eyes and she got the liner on, so they're really popping. Yes. Um, I'm envious of large eyes. Yeah, I got some small little squinty things. Like, I try to work my shit out. You know, I try to be still. I try to be expressive, but there's only so much you can do with these little beady things. Yeah. Like, I smile and they go away. <laughs> and I think, huh. <laughs> but these big-eyed people, they got it easy. Yeah. All they have to do is look, and they're expressive. Um, oh. Also, there's... You finish. <laughs> Um, there's also aspects of the video that are confusing. She has a tail, like a devil's tail. Did you notice that? In her red outfit, she has a devil's tail. (sighs) I think she's supposed to be like the devil, but also Kathy, but also Heathcliff. Like she's like the whole ghost, (laughs) but also Kathy ghost and Kathy, the child and Catherine. There's million Kathy's in this book. We, we all know this. That's something Um, we stand about Weathering Heights. Everyone has the same two names. (laughs) Yes, and that's also something, just to jump off, I'll come right back to Wuthering Heights. Okay. Um, something I stand about, 100 Years of Solitude mm-hmm. by, have you read that book? No, I haven't. 
It is the most powerful. I shook and cried on the toilet after reading it for 10 minutes. It is so powerful. And it also, it's about, like, families through decades, just like Wuthering Heights are. Uh-huh. Is, but it's, like, through 100 years. And it's also um, magical realism. So things happen that don't make any sense. Like, uh, chocolate will rain from the sky. Or uh-huh. someone's dead ancestor's bones will, like, ring in the closet. Or someone will have a penis that's so strong that it will destroy someone's insides. Like, things will happen that make no sense, but they just don't even talk about it. Like, they just I love that. It is, in, it is an amazing book, but it also shares that same thing where everybody has the same name, the same three names. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's almost like Wuthering Heights, but on another extreme and magical realism. Yeah. I want to read it. I will read it. You should read it. It's great. Um, so what happens in the music video? So we have our icon, Kate Bush. We do. Her long, dark hair little wavy and her strong bangs and her big eyes she's in a long red flowy dress and she's just out in the field hanging out out in the field who knows where where do you think she shot this somewhere in like london like outskirts yeah i would say so but that feels true and i also oh Oh. you want to go you go ahead sure um and It'd be, like, the song on its own, compelling, interesting. Like, the backing is so interesting, but really everything she sings, her voice is so specific, and she really plays with it in a way that I admire that I hadn't thought about for, like, a while until I, like, did the Juilliard Summer Intensive, and I had classes with Janice Brenner. (gasps) Janice Brenner icon. I, I recently like, had a Zoom call with her. With our voice. And you're like, what? Yes. <laughs> and so like taking classes with her and then later learning about Meredith Monk and seeing her perform live. I was waiting for you to bring Meredith Monk into this. I'm always waiting to bring Meredith Monk into things. <laughs> I can't believe you saw her perform live. I'm so it jealous. Was, it was everything. It was amazing. Um, and I think like all these women use are interested in voice and using it as an instrument, not just being like, am I on pitch? How's the tone? Vibrato. They're like, they're working with timbre and like the density of the sound that's coming out of their voice. It's insane. Yeah. Cause people, I feel like are, we're more likely to think of stuff like that with instruments. Like, Oh, they didn't play the violin regular. They like spit on it and rubbed it a little, you know, using it. It's not meant to be. (laughs) John Cage spit <laughs> on a violin and rubbed it. That is um, amazing. I need to do a full thing on John Cage because I have thoughts. <laughs> oh, I have so many thoughts. And I got to say, almost 100% of them are lovely. Yeah. I'm a huge admirer. Like, I think he's a little punky rascal. And if he was here right now, I would fist fight him, you know? You'd fist fight him? Yes, I would fist fight John Cage. But why? Heartbeat. But why? The audacity of this man. Like, What's the audacity? I am so interested in his work and like all the concepts and stuff, but yeah. ooh hoo hoo. Something about just setting a piano on fire. I wanna fight him. I gotta say, I'm kinda into it. Uh, and you wanna see, know I am too. I don't even know how to express it. Like I'm into it and I admire him and I'm like all for modernism, postmodernism, etc. Extended also, like, techniques the house down. I want to rumble. 
I love that you want to rumble with John Cage. Honestly, set it up. <laughs> set up a time and place and fight John Cage. He's very dead, Aaron. I know. Okay. Good. As long as we all know. <laughs> John Cage is dead. You know, someone was like, Paul Taylor is dead at his memorial. Per- like, they didn't know that Paul Taylor was dead when we were at his memorial performance. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Oh, sweetie. <laughs> someone was like, Tina Bausch is dead. And I was like, oh, my God. There's just lots of moments where someone will be like, someone is dead. And I'm like, oh, my God. Get on Wikipedia. Get on Wikipedia. Yeah. So where were we with Wuthering Heights? Um, oh, we were, I was talking about how she uses her voice. Tambor, yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's a little silly. It's a little silly, but something that's really interesting about Kate Bush is that you listen to that first album, The Kick Inside, and almost every single song she sings in that, like, almost falsetto. I don't know. I don't know what word you would use it. I think Use to describe it. Maybe it's, falsetto? It's just, it's up there. It's a strong but head voice. She up there. As you, like, look through the course of her career, her voice drops considerably, mm-hmm. and she sings in a much lower range. Um and I think it's just, there's such a variety to the, to the sounds that can come out of her voice, even though it is unique. She can really turn it. She can, there's songs where she yells and mm-hmm. screams later in her career. Um, she really just has, it's a dynamic career. But going back yeah. to Wuthering Heights specifically, um, it's that voice paired with this like modern, like not postmodern, but it's like got the angles of modern, but like. It's relaxed. It's like Trisha Brown could have been on set, you know what yeah, I'm saying? But like, definitely. it's definitely just Kate Bush choreography inspired by like modern dance teachers. Mm-hmm. And she, I think it's just a combination of those two with her strong focus. Um, it's just so compelling. And you know what's even more interesting about that choreography uh-huh. is that everything is even about it. Everything, yeah. it's like one, two, three. But every step has its own. It's just one count. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's one of the most compelling dances I've ever seen. It really brings it home. In that third chorus, when she skips the first two steps and just brings her torso down and then goes right to the third step, it, it brings me home. And it does. honestly, it sort of made me wonder, like, how could I make a piece that's even and kind of boring and has this, like, sort of, like, it's almost kind of bad, but somehow it brings the audience home. Yeah. Because you don't need all the glitz and glamour and complicated rhythm and syncopation to make me interested. And also, like, she's doing that in her voice. And, like, the whole video, like, if she had crazy complicated choreography, I think this music video would have suffered. Yeah, I don't think I would have been attached to it as much. I would have been like, okay, song, whatever. But I don't know if it would have stuck with me the way this has. Right, I totally agree. Um... I also just really like, have you, have you learned the steps? Yeah. You taught them to me. Oh, we did this in my apartment, Aaron. Oh yeah. You said you have to watch this, Anna. You're going to love it. I said, okay. And we watched it. And then you said, let's learn the dance. And I said, that's also, it was my, also my introduction to Meredith Monk, which you showed me. I don't remember what piece, but I was obsessed. Um, It's that, that first few steps, they're kind of like, you feel like a ghoul when you're doing them. Yeah. Like, you don't feel quite right. Like, your knee's coming up, and then you're extending you're all your arms. Out. You're shooting it out. You feel, like, you feel like you're a five-year-old, and it's your first dance piece. Yeah. And it's almost that, like, she's sort of, like, 
she's a great dancer, obviously, and she's mm-hmm. very expressive, but it's sort of the fact that she's not too trained. She's just a bit amateur yeah. that makes her so likable. It's like she like she has an untrained like kind of just quality the, about her. Yeah, she just has this naturally expressive movement quality to her and she just uses that. She just runs at home. She doesn't need to like like if she was any more trained, I don't think it would succeed as well either. Yeah. And I think like something about the level of training she has and is bringing to this cuz obviously like she can move and is like familiar with her body and right. everything going on in there. But I think it not being like super what we usually think about as technical um mm-hmm. adds it makes it feel really honest to me and right. that's something that's what I think is makes it so compelling the honesty and how earnest it is because you can be like earnest in a bunch of different ways I think like I just heard in musical theater in general described as like the most earnest thing in the world and I think that's really true but often that's like kind of fake yeah you know there's there's two there's a fork in the road when it comes to earnesty and I happen to be someone who believes that Earnesty shouldn't be unfashionable. I, I think there's something really admirable to it. Although it's like when you get to musical theater, earnesty, like sometimes it can feel a bit dishonest, like you're saying. Yeah. And there's like, I love musical theater as much as the next person watching it, Same. doing it, everything, because mm-hmm. it's fun and it's so exciting to heighten things to that crazy level where you're not in reality anymore. But Kate mm-hmm. Bush does it in such a different way. It's very simplistic. And I think, like, it's what I was saying earlier with taking modern dance classes versus, like, ballet. Ballet is so, like, put upon and centuries of, like, let's be fancy. And you don't have that kind of history with modern dance, which was why it feels truer to me and why I come back to it more often. And, you know, and as time goes on, Anna, I'm starting to feel like modern dance in some ways is more too restricted for me where I'm like, I only feel like I'm doing something that's super honest. If it's like Graham where it's like literally trying to get at the core of who you are mm-hmm. or like, cause I, I think it's just, maybe it's just the way that Graham was taught to me or whatever, where it feels like super honest and true. Um, but just like taking Gaga classes online yeah. where just something where you're just trying to find like richness and pleasure Mm -hmm. in what you're doing rather than doing something that's put onto you. I think that's another thing is that you can see that like her body and like, she's enjoying it. Like Mm -hmm. you can see that her body feels good when she does the movement rather than it being something to like impress the audience. It's like literally just like the groove of the music, that slow beat. It like, it almost feels like, Like, it makes you want to do it, and it kind of does feel good doing it when you try to imitate her quality. It does. And the evenness, like you mentioned earlier, is so nice. And, like, unheard of. What do you mean by that? Like, I feel like most music video choreography, it's, like, especially right now, but Mm -hmm. also, like, back then using like syncopation as a tool to keep the audience engaged yeah is like a huge thing and i i'm not used to seeing something that's so like even just in like composition i'm i rarely see something that's like one two like it's just 
so straightforward. Um, but I think it just, it really knew that the concept and the, the feeling of the overall video was going to be insane enough that it didn't need anything you else to be compelling. And I think we're not used to seeing that even within ourselves, like that kind of simplistic, even whatever, because it's kind mm-hmm. of trained out of us. It's like, it's like, this is little kid dancing. Like you tap right foot, left foot, and it's even, uh, yeah, it standard, is trained out of it's us. predictable kind of. And, like, as we grow up and keep pursuing art and dance and composition, it's like, okay, here are all these tools, but you don't always need to use them. It's nice to, like, come back and rediscover that simplicity. I think it's all about choice and knowing what is right Mm -hmm. for whatever the specific thing you're trying to make is. Because even having even movement can be a terrible choice. But specifically for this video, it works so well. Yeah. And that's something I think a composition teacher uh-huh. said to me before. We were talking about, like, it's really hard to judge art and, like, choreography. Because what do you mean? It's so subjective. So right. it's not like, do I like it or not? It comes down to, like, is it effective? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, is it effective you... in doing what it's trying to do? Yeah, and like, if it's not doing what it's, and are you if it's not achieving, if you can see that there's no goal or that it's not achieving the goal or that like something between like what it's doing and the goal is conflicting, like that's when you can be critical. Yeah. And also something that I, I use to judge whether or not I like or like use to criticize art is I think to myself, do I remember it? Yeah. If I can remember a lot of things from a piece, I probably liked it. Mm-hmm. And if I can't remember it or wanted it to be over, then I probably didn't like it. And I know that's a very simplistic way of judging art. Oh, I think but that's I, a it's wonderful the easiest, way to do it, Aaron. It's really the best way for me. Because I can get carried away by saying, like, oh, I love this aspect of it and I love that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, do I remember what I saw yeah because we can get all heady and like we have the vocabulary and the decade plus of training to break it down and be like this 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 but at the end of the day like did it make me feel anything and am I thinking about it like three months later am I thinking about it three months later is a really important thing and there I remember a show I did not like at the time that I still think about and I'm like what show was it I don't remember all I remember is it was at the Chocolate Factory. I've never been there, and I've always wanted to go. It's a cool space. It's a, a where cool is it? Um, it's a cool space. It's a cool man. space. Um, I it's in Queens or Brooklyn. I don't know. I had to take a weird train to get there, and I was like, oh. it's one of the places that I don't really go that often. Yeah. Okay, I'll go. Sounds fun. When all this is over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, th- there are a few things that I always come back to in terms of performance. Um, this is skipping off Wuthering Heights a bit. Yeah. Um, I saw Black Velvet at BAM, which is a piece by Shamel Pitts. Mm-hmm. And I, that piece was painful. Like, I really thought my ears were going to bleed from the bass that just kept going on in the music. The lights were insane, and it was in an intimate space, and I thought I was going to cry the entire time based on just on how intense it was, like at, like, gas at 100, Uh like, the entire time. And honestly, it was my favorite piece I've ever seen because it it almost felt like, I think it was trying to make me extremely uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. not in a way where it's just, like, 
screaming vulgar things and like taking off your pants, but uncomfortable in a way where it's like just the intensity that at which the performers are getting to and the intensity of the lights and the music. Like I've never heard music that loud. And it's like, I really felt like I needed to plug my ears. Uh-huh. And I think I was obsessed with that piece. And I think it's really just, and at a certain age, it's just finding things that you're not used to seeing. Yeah. And I think the more I watch dance and the more I watch or just see art, it's just, it's sometimes just trying to find something you're confused by mm-hmm. instead of liking it. Yeah. It's not so much a question of like liking, it's interesting. Yeah, but sometimes it is liking. Sometimes uh, it's like it's I everything. want to everything. There are like there're no blanket it's all the rules. It's it's everything and it's nothing, but uh. I love saying everything and nothing because it just it makes me feel like I have mastered it. I'm like I'm like so I'm everything and nothing. And I'm like did you hear that? I'm tra- I've transcended. I've reached enlightenment. Did you hear that? I said it's everything and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Um, oh, I want to skip back to Kate Bush because I want to talk about the rest of her music. Okay. I haven't listened to every single album that she's written. Let's not get it wrong. I've listened to all the way through The Kick Inside. I've listened to Running Up That Hill. No, The, the Hounds of Love. Hounds of Love. Hounds so of Love. Sorry, I think Bush. I've heard all of Hounds of Love. Hounds of Love is amazing. Um, and I understand why it's her most like famous album. Mm-hmm. The Dreaming, which comes right before The Hounds of Love. Um, and Ariel, which is her second to last album. The Dreaming, just for listeners who um, haven't heard it. And also for you, Anna, have uh, you heard anything from The Dreaming? I don't think so. That album can be scary. Uh-huh. She screamed. There's a song called Get Out of My House. I'll send you a few, like, top tracks from that Yeah, album. definitely do. Um, and she yells in that. She makes her voice sound... She Like, it's amazing because I think after her first album, she knows what her audience would want from her, and she's completely comfortable to just change her image entirely and make herself, like, unapproachable. Like, hard... There's this one song... Like, the song The Dreaming, it sounds like... It sounds, like, Australian to me. I don't know why. It, there's just, like... Maybe there's, like, a didgeridoo up in there. I don't know what's going on. But it's, like, like I played it in my car, and my brother was, like, picking at his fingernails because he felt uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Like, it is a banging album. Like, it really contrasts how welcoming the first album is and pure and young that first album is. Uh-huh. And then running up to that hill is experimental in some ways, but also very poppy, so it's yeah. easy for people to... The first half is, like, the pop half of the album, and the second half is the experimental half. Um both have merit. I think the pop half might actually succeed a bit more, except Waking Up the Witch, and Waking the Witch, maybe not Waking Up, and Under Ice will always, they can always take this hand in marriage. I really love those <laughs> songs. Um, and then when you get to her later career, she makes really long songs. Um, and Endless Sky of Honey is like 50 minutes, except um, I think they split it up into multiple songs as of today when I checked. Mm-hmm. Um, but her music gets longer, um, more calm. She finds like a middle place more often. And the importance becomes on sort of like this almost like minimalist composer-esque aspect where it's just sort of like repetition of this like background noise with like poetry on top is almost what it's not. Because it becomes more important like what she's saying rather than like the melody of it, it seems. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I think she just has a really interesting trajectory over her career 
especially because she started at 17 and now is 61. Mm-hmm. So I'm just obsessed. 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 <laughs> She's very interesting as an artist on the whole. It's not, she's not one of those where you're like, oh yeah, that one song, like it, love it, whatever. Like, she's consistently like creating throughout the years and making and exploring. And that can't be said for everybody. <laughs> right. And um, I love to hear about artists who take long breaks yeah like there's gaps of like 12 years in her work and mm-hmm. it's i guess it was nice because she had enough money to sustain like raising a child and yeah. doing whatever um and i was reading about how she had a concert in 2014 it was like the first one in 30 years that she had had maybe not 30 years but a long time um and she was like terrified and really uncomfortable by it um but there was rumors of her having a tour in like 2020, 2021, which would be amazing, but obviously coronavirus. So probably yeah. not. Um, but I love that she takes long breaks and she yeah. says right now she's in a coma from writing. Like she's not trying to be dead, like not writing any music anymore, but she is saying that she's just in a long coma of not making any music. And one day she'll probably pick it back up again. Mm-hmm. And I admire that. Yeah. Cause like, I think we both are pretty, like, high-strung, very driven, like, to work hard, c- devote ourselves to our art and create within it. Right. But also, like, to be able to be like, it's not happening right now. Like, this is not what it is right now. This is not what I'm doing right now. Is wonderful. Mm-hmm. If I've learned anything during this quarantine is that you have to let yourself drift away from dance oh, and then let yeah. yourself want to come back to it. Because to sit in my bedroom and push myself to do a ballet bar every single day is a ridiculous thing to try and do. And I know people who are doing it, and I admire and respect their passion to do that. But I get more out of going away from it and coming back to it, I think. Yeah. For me, whenever I like don't do ballet for a while, and then I come back and I do the, that first demi-plié and first position, it feel, it's the most amazing feeling in the world. Really? That first demi player for me is full of cracks, crunches, <laughs> and a little bit of tension in the front of my ankles. Yeah, yeah something about just that first demi plie, I'm like, ooh we're back. Back and ready to go. I love it. Mm. Getting back into dance is very exciting. Um, and I think I've found all I want to do is improvise, because I think in this situation is the best way I can expand my dancing is because I can just, if I'm constantly looking for more possibilities. Oh, and shout out to the fact that if you're posting a video of yourself improvising, it's impossible to catch on camera what improvisation actually does or like what actually happens in improvisation. Like it's like, it will never be right on camera. No, it will never, it will never quite work. I mean, you can work hard to try and make it better. And maybe when I'm 30 and a bit calmer, it'll be easier. But I think, there's so much magic to improvisation is that all you're doing is expanding and unfolding the layers of yourself. It's really. a very internal process. And if you're capturing it from an external lens like that, especially with the distance of like recording it and then it being on a screen, like you're so removed from what the experience of it is. Yeah, you can be so removed, but I also know that I've like practiced it to uh-huh. see how more as like an experiment to see how, 
invested I can actually be in my improvisation when a camera's go on. Mm-hmm. And with practice, it can become a lot easier. And your improv can actually become pretty rich, mm-hmm. which is which is crazy. I, I really thought it, I was just doomed. I was like, if you need an improvisation video for me to hire me, you're not going to get one. Uh-huh. If that's what you think, it's not going to happen. It's hard. It's hard to do it on camera. I think that's something I struggle with. Dancing on camera is hard too. It's but hard. also dancing on stage is an entirely different experience than dancing in class. Rehearsing yeah. a piece is an entirely different experience. And I think something to practice is trying to make it, well, know that it's going to be different, but also try to make it so it's just like, I talked to this amazing dancer who's in the grade above me and I'm just obsessed with her. And I say, what do you think about when you're on stage? Because mm-hmm. you are so freaking compelling. And she said, I just try to act like I'm rehearsing it. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know that switch when you're like, oh, I'm on stage now, I need to perform? Yeah. Like, it really it really has to be, like, you're doing it as full as you're going to do it on stage in rehearsal so that the transition isn't terrifying. Yeah. So at least within you... There isn't going to be a big shift, even when it's costume, lights, set, etc. Lights will really fuck you over. They will, because you're like, why can't I turn anymore? Like, what happened? Because you can't see anything. <laughs> why can't I stand on one leg? Yeah. Like, what Can happened? I stand on my left leg without anybody trying to knock me over? Like, it's, imp- it's literally impossible. I mean, maybe in, maybe in the future, Anna, when we're dancing seven shows a week, it'll be a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But I think now when we only get performances like a few times or like maybe we'll perform like six times, seven times a semester. Yeah. It's like it's tough. there's so much um, excitement and a little bit of pressure around it that it's hard to feel like you're actually putting your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm trying to think if there's anything to juice out of Kate. Oh, here's what's to juice. Uh-huh. Um, Fiona Apple, I know that that's potentially next week, but I'll yeah. throw this in the bag. Um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, amazing album. Um, her Fetch the Bolt Cutters was described as having poetry like Kate Bush and music like, I don't know what the artist was, but it, <laughs> it was like, it was one of those comparison things uh-huh. where it's like music or poetry like Kate Bush and the sound of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, wow. That's just... Comparisons to Kate Bush. Like, if I was compared to Kate Bush ever in my life, It'd be, I would... It, yeah. <laughs> I would... I, I, I would die. I would implode. <laughs> I would implode and shrivel up on the floor. Definitely. Um, What do you know about Meredith Monk? Um... Not a ton. I wish I knew more, too. I think there are ways to find out more. I think the information is out there. I think she's right. big enough that the knowledge is there for the taking. Do you know her piece, Quarry? No, I don't. Something that she did at BAM, like Next Wave, or New Wave, or I'm looking at my BAM program. Next Wave is what it is. Uh-huh. Um, and she did this piece a long time ago when she was younger, where it's like, a large, large wooden room. Um, for some reason, it's like an intimate space, but it's like 
like the stage is so long. Like it's, it's not super deep, but it's extremely long. Um, and it's this wooden room. It looks like this giant endless living room Mm -hmm. and there's like lamps, chairs and like blankets. And she's like under a quilt in the middle of it. And she's like singing. And it's like, it's, it's supposed to be like her fever dream from like growing up in times of war. Uh And it, I saw a clip of it at um, the New York Public Library for arts or I don't know what you call it. It's like Lincoln Center Library for performing arts. And I was blown away by it. And I think I have to get my hands on a copy of Quarry Mm -hmm. because I think, Anna, if we saw that, we would have our minds blown. Let's do Do it. (laughs) Do you know what she performed when when you saw her? Um, I have no idea. I'm sure if I looked it up. Because how many times has she been at BAM in the last, like, four years, you know? Right. It was whatever I mean, she did at BAM. I have no idea what it was. It was something new. What was it like? Um, I have a hard time remembering the specifics now. I just remember my general impression and feeling, um, like, throughout the performance and carrying that home with me. Um, I mean, she was there. There were maybe, like five other women with her and I don't know it was so much of it felt cyclical um there was I don't know I can't do it justice like I I, even if I had just walked away from it I couldn't do it justice obviously but Mm -hmm. I don't know I think there were like projections and stuff involved I can't yeah. tell you. I know there was a she's a full. I know she's a full multimedia. Like she makes the show. Yeah, it was like a full, full music, choreography, thing. lights, staging, block. Like she does the whole shebang. Yeah, I think there was. I I definitely wrote a paper about this, so I should look that up and see see what my hot takes were. <laughs> That's fun. Um, um, I think one of the songs, like pieces she did, was uh, about like being a woman and she kept describing herself and all these different adjectives and they had corresponding choreo like very simplistic gestural choreography to go with it and it was like each sentence she would repeat a few times so you really got it and then you felt the impact when it changed it would be like i i am a happy woman and she would do that a bunch of times and she'd be like i'm a sad woman i'm an angry woman i'm a laughing woman i am like a mean woman all these different things that like, obviously contrast, but, you know, a person is contrasting and multifaceted. And right, it was amazing. You know, um, you know, uh, Janice is, works with Meredith Monk. Yeah. Like, every day, every week, whatever. Like, they're tight. Oh, I know. Like, they work together, like, hard. That's so cool. Right. It is amazing. Um, you know Einstein at the Beach? I know it generally. I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. I never sat down and watched the whole thing either, but I do listen to the music and I watched like a 60 minute documentary, which showed like clips from each of like the scenes. Uh-huh. It, it's something that is, it's minimalist. So like the, the composition is based on exactly what you just said about Meredith Monk, where it uses repetition and the repetition is so continuous that when it changes, the impact is like insane or like, Mm -hmm. like the reason why it uses so much repetition is so that the change is highlighted. So it matters. 
Um, and it's just really powerful and a bit random. And I would suggest listening to some of it. I, I'm just really into minimalist composers because I think mm-hmm. I'm, I'm realizing that they find power from staying in a middle range, like energy level, mm-hmm. and then sort of dipping in and out of middle from high to low rather than just staying at high and low. And they can still keep my interest while being in a middle range. And it's almost like they have more power because they stay in a middle range. Uh So that anything that happens is like exponentially more exciting. And I think that's something that I take away because I'm so used to living at highs and lows and performing at highs and lows because I feel very comfortable knowing that someone will want to watch me if I'm going crazy on stage or not doing anything at all on stage Mm -hmm. but as soon as I'm in the middle place it makes me uncomfortable but now that I I am starting to find this love for minimalist music it's it's sort of showing me the power of what staying in the middle can be Uh that's interesting see for me my love of minimalism comes from more like, a conceptual place. Like, mm-hmm. I love something that you watch it or you listen to it and you're like, this is boring and I don't care about it. But then you learn about the composition and the thought that went into making it and you're like, now I care about this. Oh, I'm I know what you mean. Stuff. Like, I had a full... Um, I think it was my music for dance class. Um, we talked about all these different, like... Uh, musical compositions and composers and it was like okay the thing with this one is they rolled nine dice and like did a grid and looked at the I Ching and blah 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 or this the I Ching the, the I Ching always uh, up in there <laughs> the atonal music where it's like you can't even like it's not for us like it's it's like literally yeah. written not for us to be able to understand or follow any of it but and even like my music teacher was like I'm a composer. I know a lot about music, but there's no way that I'd be able to understand it without sitting down with the score for hours and dissecting like Stockhausen's music. Yeah. Um, and that's so cool. <laughs> I think it's so cool too. And I also kind of like listening to it. Cause I, I try to imagine that I can actually figure out the patterns that they're using, like the serialist yeah. fucking things that they do. Like, I wish I could. Like there was one piece I listened to where he was like, it was composed based off of the bumps on a piece of paper. And I'm like, are you joking me? Like, Wait, I think I know that piece. I don't remember what it is, but like, like, you know. Oh, and it was like, it was like the mistakes on a piece of paper. It was like, he was like, I don't know what to write. And he had already written a piece. And then it was like where all the mistakes were on the sheet of paper that he had written. He like made notes from them. I think we're talking about two different things. Perfect. Because mine... My guy was just like, oh, there's a bump in the paper. Like, <laughs> there's a bump in the paper piece. Done. Um, beep boop up. That's the piece. <laughs> you know, the music world fights. Like, they do not get along in terms of, like, they're like, if you're not atonal these days, then you're canceled. I mean, that's starting to change a bit. Mm-hmm. But it used to be, um, it used to be really intense where it was like the atonal versus not, like, versus tonal music. And minimalist composers weren't even in the fight because nobody even cared about them. They were, like, so downtown, like, people were not even caring. Mm-hmm. But the minimalist or, like, the atonal versus tonal composers would, like, fight over being, like, your music isn't valid. Yeah. Like, it's not even valid. To, like, people would say it's not even valid to make tonal music anymore because all the all of the possibilities have been made. Which is true, but also it's, like, 
then it's like music is no longer for self-expression essentially mm-hmm. if if you're saying that like it's just for like you're expressing something obviously but it's it's not for making something that you feel you can connect with you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think that fight is interesting i love it because it there's passion in there i'm i'm reading a book about dadaism right now because i it's a like buzzword and people are like, oh, it's so Dada. I'm like, does anyone know what we're talking about? And the answer is no. None of us know what it is. Like, if you ask someone in the Dada movement, like, they, they, they either couldn't tell you or won't tell you. It's like a big rigmarole, like, who cares? Fuck everything. Fuck art. Fuck you. Like. Do you know what it is? No. I'm, I'm reading a whole book. Can you? Wait, but the book won't tell you what it is. Well, it's like. It's not so simple that you can sum it up in a sentence which i think we're used to doing with a lot of stuff it's yeah i don't know it's exploring and going in and out of like is this art is it not like let's all read the same poem but we're going to do it in three different languages and shout so no one understands anything and just kind of like it's kind of a prank, but it's also not. And they're also just trying to get a rise out of you. It's like... Is this like that. a movement? Like, what is... Like, what yeah, category of thing is this? It is an art movement. Okay. I'm kind of here for that. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. Are you familiar with Andy Kaufman? Um, by... Based on my um alone, you should probably know that <laughs> I don't know who that is. You... I think you would be fascinated with Andy Kaufman. Okay. He was, like, a comedian slash performance artist, just personality in, like, the 70s and 80s. And, like, he was on a popular sitcom for a while, but that's not what's interesting about him. Like, all his solo stuff is fascinating. And you're like, is he in character? Is he not in character? Is this an act? Like, what's going on? Is he just one of those people where you're like, like, they, like, their life is dedicated to just being like what the fuck is going on right now kind of yeah love those people kind of want to be one of those people mystery. oh yeah definitely but not be mean about it <laughs> right but like not be a dick the whole time no 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 um, not be a dick like, yeah no i've read a few books about andy kaufman and i think i've like i saw the movie about him where jim carrey plays him um mm. I, I think he's super interesting and like the allure is even greater because he died young so, like, he died, like, at, like... How did he die? Um, cancer, I think. I think he had lung cancer. Oh. Um, You'll have to send me a link to his Wikipedia, because oh, I'm getting curious. definitely will. I'll send you some hot YouTube clips, too. Great, he great, performed great. on SNL a few times, and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> wow, he really was here to just fuck shit up and leave. Yeah. Fascinating, man. Um... Where was I going with this? Oh, but like his kind of work. I was going to use him as an example of what Dada is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's. I kind of feel like I need to be a part of Dada now. Yeah. I mean, it was really. It's heyday was like. Right off the heels of like World War One. Like mm-hmm. that's when it like got its name and. People were like, we're Dadaists, and they, like, had their little group, and people went in and out of it, and they hated each other because they disagreed on what it was, but they're like, I don't do that anymore, like, Mm. all this stuff, but I don't know, there had been, like, Dada-esque work happening before and after, and 
I think it started mainly, definitely in Europe. I think around Germany is where they're like, this is Dada. Sounds messy. Yeah. But also, like, around, there was, like, equivalent, an equivalent movement happening in America at the time. But that technically isn't Dada because it's, like, different people, but it is. And so it's Mm. all, it's murky. All of it's very murky. And that's. That's fabulous. You know, have you seen, um, I forget who did it, but it's just the urinal. And they're like, it's an art, it's art. Oh, I'm so here for that. Yeah. That's because like then you look at the urinal and then you're like, you're like, you, I mean, you could say it's not art, but also you look at the urinal in a completely different way. Yeah. Like putting it in a museum, like completely changes how you view it. And I think there's validity to that. But you could also see it as like some idiots fucking around and being like, ha ha. I like all aspects of it. Yeah. I want to look at the urinal too. So it's like, Everything's a plus. Yeah, because it's taking something from everyday life and saying, no, look at this, you know? But also, yeah. I think it was kind of a prank, you know? It sounds like kind of, it, it sounds like they're making fun of, like, the people who curate, like, museums. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, my God, they're going to buy this urinal for $50,000 and so weak. And I but think also, it says buying. so much. It says so much, even though... Even if it was, like, a prank originally, I mean, not, like, a prank, but even if it was a fuck you originally, like, it still says so much. Yeah. Like, they still have a point. There's still a valid reading of that as, like, something artistic, as a work. And, ugh, I love, I love fucking around art. I love it so much. I like it, too. Um, Fucking around dance art is interesting, because I, it's almost like... It's been a while since I've seen fuck it around dance art that I've been interested in, though, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've been exposed to it for long enough where I'm like, OK, I know you can do that. Like, I know that that's an option mm-hmm. and I love that that's an option, but I almost am not interested in, like, seeing people try and do it now. Like, I, I was interested that it happened at a time mm-hmm. and I like that it still happens now. But it's like, what are you going to do with that now? Like, what are you going to do with now that you know you can do that? Like, like if you're going to do that, what frame are you going to put it in? Like, what lens? Like, if someone was to do a dance and they were just to walk out on stage and sit there for five minutes, I would be like, I, I've already seen a piece like that. And I know I'm that's pretty a sure possibility. that's the Paul Taylor thing he did. Really? Early on in his career. I'm pretty sure he walked out, lay down, and then got up and left. Paul Taylor. Well, see, if I was... If it was that time, I would have been obsessed with it. Oh, yeah. But it's also, like, I know that that's a possibility. And now I'm just interested in seeing, like, specific and interesting lenses rather than... Like, I think that sort of, like, whatever art is amazing. And I loved learning about it. But now, because I know know what it can be. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, like, all aspects of it. I feel like I've seen a lot of aspects of it that it it would take a lot for me to be, like wow, I want to see a piece that's like that. Because I, it's like, I know. Yeah. I like learning about, like, all these weird things. I'm so, like, I think fucking around art is, like, a huge part of performance art, which I'm so interested in. Right, like, same. Learning about living it, doing it. So I think, like, reading about all these, like, past examples of it only makes me more excited and curious to say, like, okay, she, like went out into Washington Square Park and was like, um, I'll put my sperm in you and then I'll take 
like this pill and then a few days later like you'll watch me bleed you know mm-hmm. that that's a real thing i wish i knew <laughs> i don't, I don't you know who but- i'm talking about like, What's interesting in that is that that's through a lens where I'm interested by it. Like, I would want that to happen. Where it's like, mm-hmm. if it's something where it's so simple, or or especially if it's on a proscenium stage for some reason. If someone comes out and, like, like hits their arm for five minutes, I'm like, I'm like, okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I'm like, there was definitely an age where I would be obsessed with that because of the principle of it but it's like almost like i've learned the principle of it and i'm just ready for someone to give me a lens like if someone were to come out on stage and scream what you just said i would be interested mm-hmm. it's different it's it's when there's a specific lens i'm into it i'm more interested in it happening i think out outside of the proscenium just okay. like in life um because for a couple of reasons um one being then it's accessible like to me as a creator but also like to the masses, you know, because yeah. people are outside around. You know? like, people <laughs> people are, are outside and around. Like everyone's not like, oh, let me go to the theater tonight to procure my high art, you know? Right. And like finishing up, I think what I was saying earlier, like learning about all these different pieces and stuff, it makes me more excited to explore within myself and say, okay, they did that. They did this. They did this. What's something that I can do that I haven't seen before? Doesn't mean it hasn't been done. But what is some what is an idea I have that I can act upon and create something from that is new to me at the very least? I think and that's it's a great really interesting challenge. I think that's a great challenge. And I also I so support that. Um one one amazing piece that I heard about, I can't remember the choreographer. Um I know Rennie Harris, like the hip hop legend, told us this story. Um, and it was about Rennie Harris's inspiration, because Rennie Harris is a hip hop choreographer who like also incorporates performance art into his hip hop choreography. So like it will be on a concert dance stage. Like it made its way to concert dance because it has like a performance art aspect. Cause he was sort of inspired by performance artists and that's how we got into hip hop. It's like this whole thing. Um, and the piece he talked about was where all of the people who came into like the theater, all the people who were of color were just allowed to go and sit down. And then all the white people were stopped at the door and like put through extra security and like, given a hard time and then they could sit down and then like by the time everybody was in the theater people were like all riled up and all the white people were really upset they were like what's happening yeah I don't think they realized it was like a race thing at the time because Uh like if you saw white people getting checked at the door like I don't think you would initially be like what's the rate like it wouldn't I don't think that would even come to my head um Uh and then the performer and then the show was over that was the show Uh they like oh, they okay. literally the the artist went up to the stage and bowed and then it was that's over. That's amazing. Is that not amazing? That's amazing. Also, there. Keep going. Well, I was gonna say I love just. I like the idea of just doing stuff to get a reaction and to, like, manage your expectations. Like, you come into the theater, you think you know, generally know what kind of thing is gonna happen. So, like, messing with that just for the sake of messing with it, but then. That's one thing, and I like it, except it can be mean, and I don't like that. I don't like being mean. <laughs> right. Um, but also, like, something like what you just described, where it's it's not, there's, oh, there's layers, and there is intention, and so, like, thought, and a point, and so much you're saying. 
And, you know, I'm pretty sure if I went to that show and that happened, I wouldn't have been disappointed. I mean, I, I know a lot of people would be disappointed because they were expecting a dance show or whatever. But mm-hmm. I would have been shook and talked about it for, like, the rest of my life. Yeah, definitely. Because that is incredible. Yeah. Hmm. I'm interested in destroying the proscenium, but I think I'm also, like, like, it's the same thing with, like, the Dada stuff where it's, like, well, I mean, like, Dada on a proscenium stage. I don't even know if that exists, but where where it's, like, someone just standing there for five minutes. It's the same thing for me where it's, like, I know that I can do that, and I know it's been done, but I would have to find an interesting lens and something that makes sense for whatever theme or whatever whatever I'm trying to say. Like, if it supports what I'm trying to say, then I'm into it. You know what I yeah. mean? But only if it supports what I'm trying. Like, I, I hate when I go to a show... And I love what it's saying. And then, like, halfway through the, through the show, like, the show gets, like, some existentialism to it. And sometimes it's done beautifully, and I love it. But sometimes I'm, like, it's almost like saying, like, what is real? Like, you know when you're talking to someone and they're, like, but everything's so deep. What is real? Like, what am I even saying right now? Like, what am I touching? What is what is the wall? What is the floor? Like, what is language? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, uh-huh. of course we could go there, but, like, there's nothing to talk about once you go there because of course it's like, there's what like if none of this is more. right. And it's, it's, it's like, what, what are you saying once you rip all the ground? Like you have to know that if you're destroying like whatever reality you set up from the beginning, that it's saying that you're destroying the reality and whatever you said before doesn't have the same impact. I have, I have a few more things written down that I want to get to. I didn't, Let's well, get to him. I, I was going to say, I didn't want to derail us, but this whole thing has been derailing. You yeah, know? you might as well make it the title. It's like Kate Bush, I think. That's all, that's every episode, though, you know? You Maybe know, not to such an extent, but, like, I, we come in with a topic, blah, 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 whatever. But right. what's more interesting are the friends we made along the way. Uh, you could call this, um, you could call this Aaron Choate knows everything. I would never say that. So, um, <laughs> you're like, just keep going. Let's move on. So what else do you have on your list, Anna? Oh, um, what is your favorite moment of the music video? Cause I have, I have, I mean, there's so many. I can tell you right now. Tell me. My favorite moment of this music video is, you know how there's that little, um, manipulation right before the third chorus where it adds those three ding, 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 ding you know yes and she does the pelvis and arm circles right before she breaks it down changes the chorus obsessed best part second favorite part is the extremely long amount of time spent with that arm wave undulation (gasps) the song doesn't end it doesn't well also like when you're listening when you're listening to it it makes sense yeah but when you watch the video it doesn't make sense because it keeps going for like my brother laughs every time he sees it but it's a perfect ending it is a perfect ending because when it got to that part, I was like, oh, this is where I think it's going to end. And then I like clicked on it and I'm like, there is another minute of this video. Also, think her about waving how- her arm back and forth and then disappearing and then reappearing a little further away from the camera. Right. Over and over. How interesting is that structurally? That is insane. It sets up this pace where you're comfortable. It's verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And, you know, the verses are going to be different choreography. The chorus is going to be the same choreography with a little bit of manipulation in the third chorus. And then it just has a tag that's a minute. That's 
literally a third of what you've already seen. Just an extremely long tag. It surprised you. It's it's just an amazing moment. What's your favorite moment? Definitely the ending. But the one that gets me every time is when she throws her arm back, like windmills it back, goes hinge, bounces, and comes back up. That's one of the best parts of the whole thing. I remember just being blown away the first time I saw that. Like, it's so funny. I love it. And then she does the hand out, hand out, hand in, hand in, rotate. You know what I'm talking about? She gets that internal rhythm where she's like, it's almost like she's doing like, like um, an excerpt from Pippin, like the Broadway musical where her Uh arms are going out and her arms are going in very evenly. It's like she's doing like also the Macarena at the same time. Yes. Also the insanely long amount of time where she sways right and sways left. But like, yeah, with her arms like below her, and you can't see you. The camera just follows her face. Where it looks like she's speed skating back and forth. Yes, yes, yes. Because it looks like the camera almost loses her like every time, especially the first one. The camera seems caught off guard. An insane amount of velocity, an insane above amount of velocity. She's really darting back and forth. She is zooming, and I am proud of her. Yeah. Any other favorite moments? Um, when she has, when she is like sitting in into one hip, other foot popped, and does like the arm circles around with her hips going. Yes, that's why I said that is a great moment. That's great. It's great. Also, the pelvis humps. Yeah. Na, 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 na. She does two thrusts on those. Na, 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 na. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. That's such a good moment. Ugh. And now that we've said why this video is perfect, let's talk about why the other one sucks oh yeah let's talk about it because i think i've seen it once and i never watched it again i watched it again today to remember why it's bad i should have i should have um like everything we said about the magic of the simplicity how there's so much going on musically so we don't need more this video is like more more. 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 also it's like literally her upside down inverted like spiraling and you want to know something that's insane anna Mm -hmm. my brother likes the other video but it makes sense because he has a fair point where it's like the overlay he thinks is really interesting because it like sort of speaks to the like sort of like the pull and like the 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 song almost feels like it's never going to end even though it's three minutes where it just feels like it's like repeating on top of itself over and over again Mm -hmm. and it's increasingly becoming more confusing it also like makes sense because like the spiral of the book where you're like in the insanity that that takes course over like the second half of the book mm-hmm. well really the first half too um but just sort of that spiral and endless turn overlaid the choreography like it, it i mean like there are aspects to it where i'm like like that was a really interesting choice yeah dare i say like definitely not as effective i dare to say that it was definitely not as effective <laughs> that was I... the worst way i could have said that <laughs> i like yeah, in each frame of the official music video, the one where she's wearing the white dress, there are at least, like, two Kate Bushes in the frame at all times. You need at least two. You need at least two. It's, like, a close-up of her, and then her a little farther away at a different angle, and they're, it's the exact same thing, like, she's right. doing. And then it cuts to, like, uh, like semi-transparent her, like, cartwheeling into, her, into herself. Yes, it, but it also captures her face in a different way where you can really see her face close oh yeah um and it also really really um 
draws a pin on her whimsy and like almost like how ridiculous she is in some ways. So in some, it it brings different qualities to her, Mm -hmm. but really the other one succeeds with the natural environment. Um, No effects. No effects. Because this, the one in white to me feels like MTV. Yeah. It feels like we're trying to make an MTV hit and like, I just got this editing software and I'm going to use every single effect. That is how it feels to me. And I think it ages it in a way that the one in red, I think feels like timeless, like all the effects and all the overlay and overlapping and transparent Kate Bush's and like tracking of her. It, I think it is kind of tacky. It's tacky, but like, it's almost like the other video people would have loved at the time and just thought it was kind of whimsical. But this video is, is confusing regardless. Like the outside one is confusing regardless at the time, which makes it timeless. Yeah. Like you said. It stays weird. <laughs> it stays weird. And you know, the other one's weird because of that. It feels like it's dated. Yeah. I mean, you can still catch why it's weird because Kate Bush is a strange, unique butterfly of a person. Mm-hmm. Oh, something. Another fun fact I learned. Um, someone slowed down the, like, one where she's in white, so it's, like, a 36-minute video. (sighs) And I think we have to watch it. Um, I just watched the first, like, couple minutes. She's maybe gotten out one line or two, and it is fascinating, Erin. What's it like to watch it? It's haunting. It's spooky. But is the sound really low? No, I think they, like, they pitch corrected it or whatever, so it's not like, Whoa. so it's not fully it's like, like a nightmare. Yeah. Oh my god! You know what we should do? Uh huh. We should like watch it over Zoom, or we should watch it separately, or we should just wait. I kind of want to save it for what? Like for when we're like united mm. in the vague future. Okay. Or we should just watch it, because otherwise I'll forget about it. You're right. I know, I don't want to forget, because now it's really on my mind, and I watched the very beginning, and it's like, ugh. Okay, so we're watching it. We're watching it. Hands down. Hands down. Done. Great. Um, I think the only other thing I have to say about it is, in both videos, like, I keep coming back to how honest and earnest it feels, while mm-hmm. simultaneously having, like, whimsy and cartoony qualities to it. Yes. And I think that's so cool. It's the perfect balance of taking herself seriously and not seriously. Yeah. Like, serious enough for people to listen, but also, you know, artists who can do humor well, mm-hmm. like, that's an amazing talent. And I, I think she incorporates humor in such a subtle way, but also it's, like, in your face. But it's not like she's, like doing the most insane facial expressions and doing 15 cartwheels in a row. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's just like slightly whimsical and like, it just has that feel like she's trying to make a joke out of it either. She's not like, Oh, look, I'm being goofy. It's like, I'm being dramatic and cartoony and like taking it up a few levels. Yeah. And the goof, it's almost like, it's almost like she buys into it completely yeah. and it's only goofy from our perspective. Whether or not she knows that it's goofy, she might completely know that it's a bit goofy. I feel it's like that song. It's a bit goofy. You know that song Pie? Oh, the one you that just I sent me? you? Did you listen to it? Oh, I listened to it. That song is one long joke. Yeah. Like, also, 
that part where they're like, she loves, she loves, she loves the number. That part, mm-hmm. oh my God. That was the grooviest shit I've ever heard. But the fact that they have the entire number of pi, just like, well, no, obviously not the entire number because mm-hmm. it keeps going forever, but it's like 71 like numbers of it. I know. Just like over the course of the song. As soon as she started, she was like, I don't even remember how it's. She fell in love with a mathematician. She goes, (laughs) she's like, 3.141589. It's amazing. And as soon as she got past 3.14, I was like, oh, this bitch is going to keep going. And she did. And then the next time she's like, Seven, eight. I know. She, she just keeps going. I knew it was going to happen again. I was like, don't start from the beginning, Kate. Don't do it. And she didn't. She was just picked back up. And I'm like, I love this. She's one of, that's probably one of my favorite songs of hers. And also one of my songs, favorite songs, period. Yeah. It is such an incredible, Ugh. just an incredible I implore choice. everyone to go get some Kate Bush in your life. Go get some Kate Bush. You know, I was listening to a, a hint of, 50 Worse for Snow. Maybe that's what's called. It's her last album. Uh I haven't listened to the whole thing, and I probably won't ever, but maybe I will. Um, I was listening to one song. It was called 50 Words for Snow, and it literally was like one, and then said a word for snow. And then it was like two, and then said a word for snow. But then it like went on to other things, but then continued. It was like 17. It's just interesting that she commits to one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that her willingness to commit to one thing that's specific it's her specificity. That's what makes her music poetry. It's like a choral room. Like just something about that. Like it's just also you can just hear it in the titles. Mm-hmm. It's like sat in your lap or pull out the pen. There's just it's just specific enough, vague enough at times, but as she keeps going further in her career, it gets more and more specific. I think that happens to a lot of people. Titles like Birdie, which is like the name of her child. An Endless Sky of Honey. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is the best title I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, actually, what's the best title you've ever heard? For a song? No, for anything. For anything. Um, let me think. I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of things, Aaron. I, I, there are some really, really good titles. Um, my brother's favorite title is Let the Corpses Tan. Ooh, what is That's that? That's a great title, isn't it? Um, I think it's like an exploitation film. I'm not sure. Okay. Also, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is one of my favorite titles. That's an amazing <laughs> exploitation movie. Um, really well done, too. And, like, I'm trying to think if there's any other good titles. I usually think of movie titles uh-huh. first off, but. The only title I can think of right now is A Prayer for Owen Meany. Oh my god! Partly a prayer for Owen Meany. Me. But hey I think girl. a prayer for Owen Meany. First of all, amazing book. Thanks, AP English. Like <laughs> that's a fun one. Yeah, that's a fun one. It's a fun one. I just think, I don't know, the composition of that I really like. Let me see if I can find some more titles because I, I think I'm really into titles. When I'm titling a work, I'm like, this is the best moment of my life. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Really? So yeah. Usually I'm like, if the title doesn't come to me first, usually the title is the second thing that comes to me. Interesting. I've never felt that. What, what, what's your struggle with the title? Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's hard for me because I've put in like hours of choreography and trial and error on myself and 
like often like a cast of dancers and I have a hard time summing I feel like it's my duty to like sum that up or be like what is it about though because it's not about oh. anything it's about so much it's about I don't know and I don't and I don't like want to give too much away either that's you know? true I don't want to be like here's my thesis like read it because if I wanted <laughs> to write a thesis I could have written it but I didn't want to I wanted to make it a movement right yeah that is that is also a problem um that I understand you know what would be interesting Anna you should make a piece starting with the title make a title and then make the piece that's a good idea I'm gonna write that that would be amazing um think one of my favorite titles is mother but it's lowercase m exclamation point at the end Mother. have you seen that movie no it's the most it's one of the best movies i've seen that's been released in the past decade can't even believe that it was released in like a typical like amc had it like because it was panned by critics and audiences because it takes one idea and then brings it to the absolute highest extreme possible it is like one of the most insane like i because also it's controversial because it really pushes the boundaries of what can be on screen mm-hmm. i think you would absolutely love this movie i know it's like a weird trip so i'm interested. it's also just it's painful it hurts to watch but it's it's done so well and done so interestingly that it i am okay with it being it's not painful for the sake of pain it's painful for the sake of saying something and i'm here for it mm-hmm. also i love this title um celine and julie go boating hmm it's a French film that's really hard to get your hands on, and it's three and a half hours, but it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, it's only on the Criterion correct collection, like, subscription, so that's a bum. But my brother has it because he's a big movie person, so. Nice. Have you ever Ta- seen any Fellini films, Aaron? What's a Fellini film? As he's, in, like, a title, maybe? I've seen he's, this, he's this Italian director. Do um, you have an example of a movie? Cause uh, I might eight and a half. One. I don't think so. That's like his most famous one. Um, I've seen two of his movies now and you like them. I I really like them and they kind of operate in this land in and out of reality. Um, And the two I've seen are black and white, like all in Italian uh, with dubbed English over it. No, not, not with dubbed English. I love Um, dubbed English. With subtitles. Um, But like, the Italian is dubbed. Like, they didn't record any sound when they were filming, so all the mm-hmm. sound is dubbed, so their voices, like... Are in Italian. Italian, but I can tell the mouth ain't matching. That is so funny. It's very funny. Um, do you, you know the musical Nine? Um, no. Okay, well, it's, it's what the Italian is from, that song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I know of that musical, I guess. musical based off of the movie Eight and a Half. <laughs> Oh, okay. So eight and a half is probably good. Nine is probably mediocre. Be Italian. Yeah. It's a good song. Yes. Okay. So we got that clear. Yes. Um, I try. Oh, do you know the movie Manchester by the Sea? I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. So the director of that movie, all of his movies, I've only seen one other, but I'm trying to watch this other movie that he made called Margaret. Um, sometime soon. Um, all of his movies surround the idea of how people are at the core, unable to express how they actually feel, or there people, like, like I'm stumbling over my words right now, it's like people are unable to express themselves with honesty, like, that's why there's conflict, like, people can't get to the root of what they're trying to say, so half of his movies are just people stumbling over words, or, like, trying to express something, but, like, it not coming out the right way, mm-hmm. and 
it results in really painful, like tragic dialogue like I've never seen before. Um, and apparently this movie, Margaret, that I haven't seen, but hope to see soon, um, apparently has like random conversations from like, if the character's at a restaurant, like conversations from people at other tables will just be in it. Uh-huh. Interesting. So like apparently the book of it is impossible to follow because there's just random like pieces of dialogue. Um, but apparently the extended cut is really amazing. But I just love that it's sort of just talking about the frustration of not being able to explain what you're trying to like what you feel or say. Yeah. And like the conflict that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Something about that is so poignant to me. We just love art, man. Yeah, man. Just love it. We just love it. Oh. You know, I spent, I was listening to a podcast of yours with Sarah. Uh-huh. Maybe it was gossip. No, I think it was the first one. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about like, you're like people who do art all the time. Like they must be insane. And like, I was listening to it and I was like, oh my God, that must be me. Cause I was thinking of the person. I mean, obviously I don't do art all the time I say do art but I think like because I'm at a conservatory and like I just literally spend like if I'm doing anything in my day is probably dance related mm-hmm. or like performance related or artistically inclined and I I wonder what that will I feel like in the future there's going to be a turning point where I'm 70 years old it'll probably be when I'm like 50 <laughs> no not 70. Um, and I start to want to do other things or I, it'll probably be way earlier than 50. I don't know when it will happen, but I'm just kind of excited for the time where I want to, right now I'm at a point in my life where I want to do that all the time just to like find out what's there. Uh-huh. But I'm excited for the moment where I'm like, now what? Yeah. Like say I'm a choreographer at one point. I'll say it. And and say things are going okay for me in terms of choreography. Like, people are performing it, and it's like, I have enough money to live. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder what will happen, like, when I'm like, oh, maybe I'll have a kid. Yeah. Or, oh, maybe I'll be interested in, I'll be interested in this kind of literature now. Or, like, what is it that I'll, what is it that I'm going to connect to? Because I'm only 19... So what is it in the future that I'm going to be interested in? I love thinking about that. Yeah. Are you going to have kids? Oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe. That's kind of, I used to be so anti that. I was like, I am so anti kids. Oh, tangent. Um, Jacqueline Buglisi, do you know who that is? I do. She said, release technique. I am so anti that. I hate release technique. I am anti that. That adds up. <laughs> I have a, a quote that says, I am... So, release technique I am so anti that <laughs> that is probably I think about that every single day um but I'm so I used to be so anti-children I was like I will never have a kid never yeah. in my life and now I'm like I would love to know it's almost like an experiment I mean obviously an experiment that you have to do well enough so the child doesn't have damage but yeah I think like part of me is becoming really interested in what that would feel like and also like, there's aspects of me that I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like I could be kind of maternal. 
I say maternal because it makes me more comfortable than saying paternal, but, mm-hmm. um, like, I feel like there's part of me that would love to just, like, nurture a child, especially because I devote literally 85% of my energy to myself every single day. Like, I really am so self-absorbed, and it's almost just because I feel like I need to be that way to, like, progress in my art form. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for that to switch. Like, that'll be so different for me yeah. to not be obsessed with myself and obsessed with someone else. It's, from what I've heard... Like it's just a whole different ball game when you got a like, whole different a kid, ball game. Like that's that's new. That's your life now. <laughs> that's everything. That's new. I mean, it would probably depend on like whatever financial situation I'm in. Yeah. If I'm like, if I'm like scared or like know that I will have to be penny pinching all the time. I mean, I don't know if that will change my decision. Yeah, I but think right now, it for me, it's contingent on like whether the world's going to end. That that's a big part of it. Um, so the world staying around, having some level of financial security and being in like a really stable, loving relationship. I think that's important. Also, I can imagine myself raising a child on my own and liking that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could enjoy that. I feel like that would be easier in some sense because there's no like conflict over what's right for the child, but also... And also you get it all to yourself. But I think it, it might be nice to share the experience of parenting too. Have someone to go to and be like, that was weird. <laughs> so yeah, that would be nice too. So hopefully those make my checklist and I can do it. My brother always talks, I keep on talking about David. He's so influential to me. Um, he always talks about the morality of having a child, knowing yeah. that it's going to be much harder down the line. I know. I think about that. I mean, obviously, we can't be, like, it's going to be terrible for them. But also, it's, like, I mean, I feel like if I was a child, I would be, like, give me, I mean, wait, no, I don't want to step into that boundary, because that almost is, like, an unborn baby has a life. So let's just back right off, Aaron. (laughs) I'm saying, like, I think I would, I think there's fruit to a life that you know is, like, even if I grew up and I knew the world was going to soon, or, like, things were really difficult, mm-hmm. like, you still get the, the beauty of what the the world has to offer. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> I wish, I can't believe, can you believe that we grew up at a time, when we were younger, none of this was on our mind. Can you believe that, like, even in, like, the past five years, like, it has really settled in that we are growing up at a time where things are speeding up too fast and can't be controlled. Like, can you believe that became aware at our lifetime? Like that's happening now. Yeah. That's so weird. Well, I mean, it's, it's been happening for decades and people in power have known about it and been like, I don't want to make the world better because it's profitable to not change anything. Isn't that so scary? (laughs) When it becomes money over lives, I'm like, Holy shit. These people are evil. Yes, it's the big issue right now. It's the economy. And I'm like, people are really, a lot of people are dying. (laughs) I know. And I have friends that I love and care about who are like, well, we'll say that if someone is scared of this, that they're being um, a little bit like paranoid. And I'm like, no, baby. I'm like, I I literally am like, what you have to remember is that this is a Flannery O'Connor quote. I don't know much about the author, but I know he's fierce because of this quote. He says, the truth 
does not change because of your ability to emotionally stomach it. Mm, that's a good one. I think that's the best quote to describe right now for those of those people who are like, well, you can't stay in forever. Yeah. I mean, there is always the question where it's like, what? Like, especially if we stay in quarantine for like a year, like, what's the potential of like hurting lives down the line because of that? Like weighing like the two... But also, like, I don't know enough about the science of, like, the percentage of people that would die if we, like, if the economy struggles versus, like, the percentage of people that will die because of coronavirus. And I have a feeling it's more people because of the coronavirus, so. Yeah, I just, I'm, ooh, I I think all the economy stuff is stupid. Um, I think. (laughs) I'm like, let it fall, I guess. Yeah, I'm like, see what happens. See if I care. (laughs) Because, I don't know, basically for me, it's dumb. it comes down to, like, there is enough money in this world to take care of everyone. There are enough resources, but people hoard them because they are selfish and they want money. That is the scariest. When I, the first <laughs> time I read something that was, like, there's actually enough money for every person on this planet to be fed. Yeah. And live at, like, a middle-class lifestyle. There like, is. everybody in the That's world it. could live. Am I communist? I might, I might be communist. <laughs> Like, I, like when I first realized that everybody could live, like, there really is enough money and resource for everybody to do that. Yeah. That was even more scary than like, that's seeing what the higher <laughs> That is a game changer. Yeah. When you realize it doesn't have to be this way, but people have decided it is. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Or human nature has decided it is. Or there's part of us that's greedy. Mm-hmm. I always think about that... Um, that whole philosophy that were like reflections of the society you know all the philosophers that were like you need to purify yourself because that will purify society and then we'll all be good mm. because we're all reflections of society that's nice to think of that's nice to think of but also it's like i don't like imagining that i'm a reflection of all some part of me wants to think i'm doing a little bit better yeah I mean, I think <laughs> than the like the world around us influences us but i don't i wouldn't say i look in the mirror and i am within me is everything inherently wrong with the world and human nature you know yeah but as a collective you take a sample of like people yeah i guess it reflects that too i get what they're going at and i get the drama that comes along with it but also let's let's chill a little bit let's chill (laughs) i'm here to i'm here to chill only good vibes only i'm here to chill only good vibes only Good vibes only. That whole idea is kind of scary to me. I'm like, girl, there might be a bad vibe and it's for good reason. So just let it happen. (laughs) I'm like, if we need to talk it out, we'll talk it out. (laughs) Do you know, you've seen a chorus line. Yeah. You know, the part of a chorus line where it's like the mother part of the montage where it's like, please send that, you know, that part. Uh, I don't think so. It's Maggie, and then it's, like, this really dramatic thing about, like, sending a message to her mother across the sea, but in the back is, like, Dance Ten Looks Three Girls, like, tits, where are my tits? Uh But, like, in the back, in, like, a sweet voice, it's, like, for some reason, I think about that so much. I don't, Mm -hmm. that has no relationship to what we're talking about, but I think about it so much, and it really just stays with me. Nice. Can I tell you I was scared to come on this podcast? Why? 
well, not scared of it, but also like there was a part of me that wanted to do the podcast well. Uh-huh. What does the podcast well mean? Um, well, I really broke my intentions off the bat because I was like, I'll slow myself down. So I'm not like literally, so I'm not like saying things I don't mean, which I definitely did. Like, I kind of expect that to happen too. <laughs> um, and also like talking over people mm-hmm. is like, I, I think it's especially more challenging given this medium that yeah. we're using right now. Um, but I, I was like, I wanted to do well with the podcast, especially cause I, a lot of my, or like a big part of me has changed and become a lot calmer. So I think I wanted to reflect that. Mm-hmm. And I like couldn't, but also I was like, wait, just let my, like, I should just let myself be excited. Yeah. Also, cause we haven't talked in a while. I but know. It's exciting. So and we're talking this about this podcast is seeing it first. Ugh. This podcast is seeing like a reconnection yeah. over, when was the last time we talked? I don't know. Cause like, I think we've like texted very minimally but like really talk right. talked it's been a while was it live the last time we saw each other or like talk talked i think so i can't remember i feel like it was i feel like we were in new york and we were oh my out. god i still haven't been to your new apartment oh yeah come over <laughs> oh my god i i remember we i feel like we set up like indefinite plans to do something this semester at your apartment mm-hmm. or at some point and i never got to go i'll come over when Life is back up to running. Yeah. All right, Aaron. All I'm right, Anna. Wind this down now. Are you ready? I'm ready for a wind down. It has been a good two and a half hours. It's been an amazing two and a half hours. Right. <laughs> um, and you're always welcome back on the pod. Obviously. Right. Can't wait till next time. Um. Okay. So, is there anything? Do you want people to follow you on any social media? They can follow me on Instagram. Drop the handle. Aaron Choke <laughs> underscore. You can find me there. You can look at my videos of me dancing, sharing, laughing, crying. It's all there. <laughs> um, you can hop over and join me there. Yeah. I, I do it all the time, and I, ha- I have a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, if you want to follow me anywhere, it's at Anna McSnail. I make no promises. Anna McSnail has maintained being one of the most iconic usernames I've ever heard. <laughs> it's I, always been I've that. I've been told more than once that people thought that was my name. Oh. I know. I was like, who's what kind of name is that, guys? What kind of name is that? Let's think about this. <laughs> and... As you may know, I like to finish every episode with each of us recommending some kind of art thing that we like that we want to shout out into the void. Okay, can you go first? Yeah, of course. And it can be, we mentioned tons of stuff. You can feel free to circle back to any of that and be like, no, this one. I really mean this one. Okay. Um, Okay, something I want to promote is a wonderful podcast called Dungeons and Daddies. It is a D&D podcast about four dads who get sucked into the Forgotten Realm and they lose their kids and they got to find them. And it's so funny. And it's there's so much heart in it and excitement. And like, I didn't really know anything about D&D. But is it scripted? No. 
Oh my god, they lose their children. Yeah, it's so good. They lose their children and re- like, what do you mean they lose their children? I mean, do you, how much do you know about Dungeons and Dragons? I don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons besides it's it's a trophy at the top of pop culture. Somehow it's, it's yes. just right there. Um, well, you have like your players, and then you have like your dungeon master, your DM who kind of orchestrates the whole thing and creates a world for you. And you all work together at the beginning to create your characters and whatever. Hmm. Um, so the, your DM kind of like sets up the reality of the world and who's there and what you're looking at and how you can interact with it. But it's up to the players to explore within that. And they're kind of endless possibilities. So it's oh, really like s- storytelling kind of it's that's so fun. It's so fun. Um, it's such a fun podcast. I just ordered stickers from them and put them on my laptop because I was like, I "Oh my god!" And it's just amazing. I want to listen. It's so so fun. Okay, great. Do you have one? Um, let me. Oh, oh my god! I haven't seen this yet, but it's something I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Jean Smith, Zena, or and some other guy I don't know the name of. Um, all past dancers with Batsheva. They're making a movie called Aviva. Mm. Um, and all the roles, like, the roles are played by multiple genders. Like, one character is played by two different people. Uh-huh. So there's, like, I think there's, like, four different narratives going on. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, in the trailer, it's like, well, this movie is going to have a lot of dancing in it. So we thought it would be easier to have the dancers act than the other way around. Yeah. So it's, like, dancers acting. but it's like I think Sarah's the most- pet peeve, which I think is so funny. Is dancers acting? She's like, they think they can act and they're wrong. And I'm like, chill. <laughs> well, I also think that, like, because they included it in the trailer, it's acknowledging the fact that they're not actors, but also, like, they're going to be actors within the dance. Like, I know they're going to be, act- like, also, like, given the dancers that they are, mm-hmm. Bobby Jean Smith has already acted before. Um, and she is such a compelling performer that it's like, even when she, whenever she speaks, just something about Bobby, um, every time she speaks, it sounds like she's going to cry. And that's something that's so endearing. Also, she's choreographing our new dances piece. Uh-huh. That's awesome. It's coming. I'm so excited. Um, don't know if we'll actually get to do it. Um, but yeah, so that, 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 you should watch, you should watch that. that. It comes out <laughs> June 12th. Cool. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Oh, that's really close. That's like a couple weeks. Right. I know. A couple of weeks feels like 10 seconds because two weeks will pass in no time. Yeah. Amazing. Do you have any final words you need to get off your chest before we get out of here? Oh, my God. I really don't think so. Like, bye. <laughs> okay. Wait, can I say something to you after you hang up or like after this is done, like like a cut? Just I want to say something before you leave. Yeah. Okay. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll say bye and then we'll talk. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Peace out. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Off the record. What's up? Okay. Off the record. (laughs)